my congregation of people saying, whoa, 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 whoa. But we believe that God's at work here. Right? Right? That's part of our theology. At the same time, if I'm at a place where I'm experiencing a lot of ministry failure and I'm in despair, I need you, or I need to come to you and the roles reverse and say, look, stay, stay, stay with it. Let's pray about this. Let's, let's, tr- let's act in faith and trust that the Lord is doing things on His timing. Let's get you out of that despair because this isn't about you. This is about coming into a narrative and coming into um, a process of, of what God is already doing in this, in this, or in this earth, planet, church, whatever. Um, right? Okay. So that, that's the first one. God is at work. It is key for how we see ourselves, how we see our work, and how we work. Um, this is key for how we see people in the church and outside the church. So let me go back to these, these examples again. If I don't believe God's at work, and I am on the side of just killing it, like successes after successes, and not only am I you know, seeing conversions and am I growing the church single-handedly, by the way, um, I'm killing it individually. Like I'm getting up at four in the morning and doing my quiet time, which is probably the reason why I'm experiencing so much success. <laughs> by the way, um, like I am eating, I'm like on this amazing diet, uh, gluten-free, fruit, a whole bit, um, like healthy, uh, and I'm jogging probably at least three, four miles a day, and then I'm also like digesting six to eight pretty thick theological novel books throughout the of the week. All right. Um, what do I have to offer you by way of, hey, uh, Ryan, pastor, please help me. I want to I want to do some ministry in my neighborhood. Um, I want to become a better Christian. Uh, I just want to experience the love of God more. What do I have to offer you? A plan, not much more than that. Yeah, a plan. Just try harder, like me. Yes. Yeah, and I want you to think about this as well. What are you offering your people? Because you have people. Some of you have families, some of you have friends, some of you have co-workers. Like, those are your people. What are you offering them? And if it's not the gospel, if it's not, hey, this isn't about me, this isn't about you, well, you need to start getting up and doing this quiet time, which maybe, maybe you do. But in this context, without this presupposition, we abuse people. And we say, here's, here's the process. Here's what you need to do. Which is basically just saying, this is what I did. Attributing all the success to ourselves. We abuse people. We give them a list of things to do. And what happens if it doesn't work out? <laughs> what does that say to the person? I'm not me. I'm not even a Christian. And that is, that sounds, I don't know if that sounds crazy to you or not. That was probably the number one thing that I remember walking with people through, at least on the college campus, at that stage of people's lives. But I know many of you probably have experiences of your own where, man, this guy over here, or this lady over here, or, man, I really just, when am I going to become like them? And you're just comparing yourself, and you're thinking Christianity is about looking like something. Um... When it's really about being something, it's about being forgiven, it's about being a child or a son or a daughter of, of the living God. So um, this affects um, how we see people in the church and outside the church. It, it, and more importantly, it, it affects what we have to offer people. On the other side of that coin, if I'm not experiencing a lot of ministry success and I'm in despair, and I mean, even more so, 
do I have very little to offer you? And one of the things that we're going to continue to talk about as we move down the chain here for suppositions is um, just to put this as simple as possible, what we are here to offer people is Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Um, that's what we have to offer. We don't, we're not here to offer programs, which are great. We, we're going to use those because those are great. We're not here to offer just, um, you know, six great ways to live life so that you can feel, you know, feel good about yourself. Like, we'll talk about some of that stuff. Like, right? That's not terrible. But that is not what we're here to, to offer and what we're here to do, um, you know, as a church. We're here to offer Jesus. And, and that's what that's what this is about. Okay. Um, let's move on. Any questions about guys at work? Brian, I think it is. Maybe you can address this. What about? Well, well maybe, I, maybe I've got the answer to my own question. Uh, I, I think a, a presupposition that goes along with that is, uh, and maybe that's where you're going, is, is uh, uh, how do I put it? Uh, I'm thinking of, of, of churches that are not built on the gospel that are successful, and the people inside them would look at that and say, "Well, yeah, God is at work. Look at all, look what we've accomplished." But yet, yet their foundation is not the gospel, uh, and so so they are successful, but it's not really God's work. It is built around the person, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. Uh, so anyway, that, no, no, uh, hold on to that. We're going to kind of get there. Yeah. But that's, yeah, I know why you're thinking that. That's good. That's fine. I, I think that's, let's hold on to that though for a second. Okay. Um, one more thing about God is at work, just for clarity's sake. This is a theocentric versus man-centric view of, of life, um, of, of ministry. We might, we might refer to this as grace-centered versus works righteousness or merit-centered. Okay, but you know, and y'all know this. I mean, Jesus has to be at the center of everything. That's what he does. First commandment. This is what it's all about. And we know in our theology, we would say, like, we're constantly kicking him out, and we're putting ourselves in here. Here we are. And God's at work. The presupposition of God's at work always has this in check. So that when I come to you and say some things that, wait, 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 Ryan, this sounds like you're you're moving yourself here to the center, you can check me. You can check yourself. How am I thinking about this Bible study? How am I thinking about um, you know, the, the success or, or the failures that I'm having at work here? Um, how am I thinking about my family or my future family? Is this all on you? All right, we love to we love we love to do this. So God's at work checks that, and that's that's why this is helpful. Okay, the second one I want us to look at here is demographics. 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 <laughs> what are these? Um, demographics. Just let's go to Webster. Is a statistical data relating to a population and group within. Why would this be important? Rhetorical. Let's look, let's look either from the 30,000 foot view here. If you were planning on starting a church or a business in Japan versus Texas, would that, I mean, would, would it look any different? Would you change it? I mean, and let's, just, all right, now let's talk about that. What, what would be the major differences? 
What's up, my buddy? Who said that? Ada. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So. If y'all would just be a lot more like her, y'all would get somewhere. Um, no. Okay. Yeah. Language. What else? Culture. Culture. Gosh. What else? Music. Music. Even the design of the offices. The design of the offices. Yeah, it, it, from what little I know, it seems like we have a lot more clutter in what we Oh, you're talking about actual office space? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 all right, sure. The design of the whole building. Yeah. Yeah, like there's no place for your king-size bed in Japan, <laughs> right? Um, Maybe structure or service. Structure of our service, absolutely. Okay, so you're getting it right. There's, it'd be, it'd be, we'd be foolish to say we'll just go take Fort Worth Press and Fort Worth, Texas, just put it on over there in Japan, and it's going to have the same amount of success or same amount of, of fruit um, as it would if it were here. And I start here to say that, that that this seems obvious, right? You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't go to Japan and start a church and just say, well, we're teaching English, right? And they just need to get on board. And that's what we're doing. We would hopefully send, or at least if we didn't train ourselves, send people who already know how to speak Japanese. But I don't think, as we will see, I don't think this is too far away from how we do tend to treat places. Um, when we don't care about demographics, we do say to people in many ways, and we're not intentional about it, we're, you need to become more like us if you want to be a part of this group. You need to be more about what we're saying and what we're doing and how we're looking and all that stuff before we ever come in and care about what's going on here in the community or the place that we're doing ministry. So thinking about our place intentionally will have a major impact on how we do ministry locally. So demographics, people are unique and places are unique. Very simple. And it is, it is worth our time to constantly think about those things. And as a consequence, demographics impacts our methods or how we do ministry. So, uh, what's the what's the makeup of? Does anybody know the makeup of the, the gender or socioeconomic um, layout of Fort Worth? That's totally fine if you don't. I don't think anybody knows that. Race race makeup, yes. At least in the in the school district in Fort Worth ISD, it's approximately sixty uh, percent Hispanic. Um, 20% black, 20% white, and then 1%, which I realize is like too many percents, um, other, you know, everybody else. Okay, great. Somebody does know that. Um, I, it would be good for us to, and I know that we have the church, I'm not saying we have it. It'd be good for us, though, as even individuals, so what's going on in Fort Worth? It's changed a lot in 10 years. And certainly as a session, it'd be great to know about this because, you know, are we going to be trying to fit some square square circle or square peg in a round circle when everything is shifting this way or going this way? Or, you know, we talked uh, earlier, uh, I think it was at a, where was I don't forget where this was, it was a session on prayer meeting, just talking about how Fort Worth has changed so much since Katrina. Because Katrina sent so many people. Um, dispersed so many people throughout uh, the United States. And, and because of that, as, as folks have gone around and talked and worked throughout the community, people find out um, people find out that there's a lot of Louisiana folks here. Why are you here? Well, we came up here because of Katrina. We decided to stay. Yeah. Okay. Well, should that impact the way that we think about ministry? Especially these people in our backyard. Absolutely it should. 
as demographics. And so the, the, the point is, is what we tend to do as, as sinful people is we come in here and we think everybody's just like us. Everybody's just like me. And everybody thinks about ministry like me or thinks about life like me. And um, that's how churches die. Like you, you'll hang on there for like a generation, right? But that's how churches die. And I'm not saying that's at all where we are. I'm just saying that's the, the benefit of the demographics. Question for you. So you, you're asking about the demographic of Fort Worth. And that in itself is a decision to pay attention to Fort Worth proper demographics. But you also, don't you have to decide, doesn't our church have to decide what? I mean, is Fort Worth too big of a demographic or... You know, why not just look at the demographics of Texas or you look at the demographics of a you know, five-mile radius around the church? Yeah. So I don't know how our church has approached that. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm going to say, well, you should go ask somebody on the session. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, I would say all of the above. Wait, wait, what? We'll have to wait a week for that for you. That's right. I have one more week. I got one more week of just... <laughs> Sitting back and hanging out. Um, uh, no, I would say all of the above. I think, I think, I think, in one sense, because you have to land somewhere. You know, what we always say is, like us deciding to speak and preach in English at this church eliminates a, a, a significant portion of people in this area, just because if, if, you, if you're if you, there's a large Latino community uh, within Fort Worth that, that doesn't know English. Okay, we're we are saying. Yes to this, we're saying no to something else, right? But I think as a whole, like what we want to be doing as a church is keeping all those in balance, keeping all those sizes. So yes, we're in, we're in America, but doing doing ministry in Connecticut is different than Texas. What does it mean to do ministry in Texas? What are some assumptions I can make? We won't lean on these too much, but for the most part, I, I think that people in Texas know about the Bible, right? They know about church, they know about God. Um, that's not that's becoming a little more dicey. Uh, we don't need to trust that completely, especially with younger generations. But that would be very different if we were in Connecticut. Um, so we kind of start there. Uh, then I think we need to look at Fort Worth proper. Like, where are churches in this city? Um, what are those churches doing? What are they about? How do we add to that? What's, what differences are we making by showing up? Okay. Uh, and then I think we definitely need to always keep looking within a two or three or four block radius, right? Like what God has put us in a place. We talk about this a lot. Um, we need to be ministering if we can to the people here around us. At the same time, we've got to also care, okay, well, we also live in a place where, and we're going to get into this, like what, let's just go go, what, what, what would you say is one of the barriers to our demographic in Texas? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'll just say it. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to phrase this in a question. One of the things I, one of the things that people would say about Texas is that that it is a place of rugged individualism, right? Okay. Good things of that. Some not so good things of that. And uh, we're we're trying to do a church here, which we'll get to in a second. That that says we want you to submit to elders. <laughs> we want you to have membership in a church. We want you to commit to this like a marriage. We want you to give your authority up. To people you don't maybe don't even know, um, and if you don't like something, we don't want you to get in your suburban and go across town to some other place, some other church. And if I'm telling, if I'm trying to pitch a church in Texas to people, like you just told me to go, like go play in the traffic, go leave, like that's not never going to work. 
What I'm saying is, is we begin to dig into that and recognize that we live in a place where I'm going where I want to go, and as soon as I don't like it, I'm going somewhere else, and I can travel a pretty long distance here. Uh, we're not a parish culture society. We, we, I think idealistically, we'd love to be. I want to be. That's just not what Texas is. Um, I mean, just look at who's in this church, right? We have people driving all over the place coming here. That's great. I want you to leave. Uh, but that's just part of it. And so, so you have a couple questions. You could say now, because you always got to make a decision somewhere. Do we, ha, ha, is there a place for us to make decisions um, that either impact that or, or you know, that try to shape that a little bit? Or do we say, hey, this is what the culture is, we need, and, and we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to meet, where, meet them where they are. Um, saying that, all right, we're not going to put all of our resources into trying to just become this parish model when, you know, great, we might have 15 people in here because they, they love the fact that we're serving this area, but everybody else come here and they're like, I'm going to go to the church over the other side of, of Fort Worth just because I can. So, yeah, all this has to come in play here, and it's not like there's this silver bullet that answers all these questions, but to be a people that's constantly thinking about these things is going to help us think about and shape the practices of our ministry and church. Okay, so we'll get into that, more of that down the road. Um, this, this moves to a thing that, that uh, a word I like to call contextualization. Spell it. C-O-N. This number three? No, this is not. This is subtitle. I don't know what I'm to do. I've got it. Where's the whiteout? <laughs> yeah, never mind spelling it. Put an A there. <laughs> no, like, uh, McDonald's is a great example of this, okay? Uh, they have a little pitch. You, you haven't heard this in, in the commercials or anything, but their pitch marketing-wise is uh, think globally, act globally. And some of you all you know, in this world have heard this. And you know what that means is globally we want to unify um, our practice. We want um, burgers in California to, to taste the same as they do in Brazil. Um, but but we want to also think locally, which means if we're going to open McDonald's in Japan, we're going to have some sushi on the menu because that's what obviously that's what Japanese people like. All right. So contextualization is the idea that says. We're going to do some things that are going to bend towards the culture. Contextualization is saying we're going to speak English in America in some places. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're going to choose and make decisions to do things that are going to make it easier, more palatable for the culture to come into what we're talking about here. Okay. The challenge with contextualization, though, is... Adapting to the culture without compromising the truth. Let me read a quote here for you, for you from uh, a guy named Paul Joyner. He says, Every place has an underlying baseline narrative which is constructed by its values because the gospel is otherworldly from an age to come where Christ is seated. It confronts the culture. But because the baseline narrative of a culture is simply its attempt to make sense out of the world that they live, there are def definitive points of contact in that culture. What they are looking for can only be found in Christ, though. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that as Scripture talks about this, we're, we're, we're aliens, right? We, we belong to another, another, another kingdom, another place. We believe that, right? So there's God's rule, and, and there's that whole place, and then there's this whole place here on earth, which God does rule over, but it's not consummated yet. And the, 
there's still this this other thing going on here. And but what, what what he just said is that even still, as people who do not believe in God or people who don't you know describe prescribe to any type of deity, there are connecting points in their own stories in, in the ways like everybody's got to create a narrative for how to navigate life. Y'all right, y'all agree with that. Um, just because somebody's not a Christian doesn't mean that they don't have some way that they have fashioned how to navigate life. How to make sense of life. Why am I here? What am I doing? What's the purpose of things? We'll get to that when we get to the principles. And what he's saying is that even though it's not Christian, there are contact points where those contact points between their story and the Bible story, if not touched, come very close. And those are the points where we want to be contextualizing in order to communicate the message of the gospel. Okay. Don't get too involved by this. <laughs> um, it, let me use this example here, and, and, and this will be more, more clear. When we talk about the challenge of contextualization within demographics, how do we do this without compromising the gospel? There's, there's over-adapting and there's under-adapting. Over-adapting, very little to no distinction between church, gospel, and culture. All right, let's, just, let's just let them eat cake. Right, let's give them what they want. And uh, this might go back to your point about the megachurch phenomenon. What is what is feeding that? What, why is that so 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 successful? Um, who doesn't want to go to a place where you're told you're awesome, you're gonna make a lot of money, and if you you know if you own it, like you're gonna have health, <laughs> right? You're gonna live forever. Like I'll, I'll go to that. Who wants to go to a place? On the other hand, he wants to hear that like you can't even come to this table unless you admit that you're pathetic and you're a sinner and that you need the gospel. Um, pathetic might be a little strong. Obviously, you know we we you understand. No, okay. <laughs> the point is, is who wants to hear that message? Um, well, I want to hear it uh, because that's what the Bible says. Uh, but that's we'll get to that here in a second. Well, next week probably when we get to that other other presupposition. But over adapting is saying very little to no distinction between church and gospel and culture. Under adapting, though, is is creating too much distance between the culture and what you're doing in church here. Okay. Um, I think I used the example like if we just decided to, to do our services in Latin because this is you know getting to the most purest form of worship. Um, that could be a good thing, I guess, but like, who's going to show up? And if they show up, do they know Latin? Right? And so now, what, what, when I talk about the distance that people have to now travel to get in touch with our worship service or what we're doing, we're literally requiring people to learn Latin before they come in here to this church. Right? So we need to contextualize, we need to bend and, and, and shorten that distance of what people have to do in a particular place in order to engage and get into. Okay? This stuff just creates so much more, so much, so many more talking points. I know. I feel like we can go in 18 different directions. Um, we're, we're short on time, but I think I want to say this before, because this is the last. We won't get to the next presupposition. We'll wait till next week. Um, Bible theology. Um, this is a big one in our denomination. This is a big one in our church uh, because there's a lot of fear about how do we do this well? How do we do this without? watering down the message. And um, one of the things that I've loved as somebody who's come into this church and somebody who's worked for this session and this congregation, uh, fear is not so much the governing uh, emotion of this church. Like, there's freedom to try things here. There's freedom to say, hey, what can we do to reach the mo most amount of people without watering down our message? 
And we've made decisions along the way. Like we've decided we're going to use this type of, of, of these types of instruments, right? We're going to use uh, these types of songs, and, and, and all this, all these things are making uh, alienating some people, welcoming others. All right, we're going to have this confession in the church. Same thing, right? We have conviction. But we're also doing the best we can to bridge that gap. To say, look, we, we, we understand we live in Fort Worth, Texas. We understand you know, a lot of what that means based on who our neighbors are. And we think that this is so far the best way that we can flex that, if you will. Um, not watering down the gospel. But it's not something that we want to just close the book on and say we never want to think about this again. Like, do you know that your your staff meets weekly to constantly think about what? How can we make this better? How can we do this better? But how much better would it be if all of us were thinking about these things? Not necessarily giving us all your answers all at the same time. <laughs> but just if we had this this body working in the same way to say, look, here's something I've noticed. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but here's where I've been living, and here's what's going on in my neighborhood. And we might have a ministry opportunity here by doing this. Think about that. Um, I want to be careful about how far I open that door, but um, I want you to think about this in your own home ministries. Like we don't, you, you don't wait on us for y'all to go and do ministry. So, however you want, however you want to phrase your ministry at home, hospitality, Bible study, um, you begin to think about the demographics and then begin to contextualize those things to those people. We will certainly help you do that. But this is this is a necessity. Um, you know, just last little story, a last little example of that. You know, you're going to do a Bible study in your church, in your home, and you know, you've got to you've got to think about okay, what what do people know? What are their backgrounds? Do I just start right with Westminster Confession, um, or you know, do, do, or we make an assumption that we all know what the gospel means? Right? That's contextualization, and how you how you begin to teach that, how you begin to talk about that. So I realize I'm out of town. Any or out of time? Any questions on what we talked about here? I mean, this is a lot, but we're gonna again, we're gonna keep moving through this, and we're gonna keep um, keep talking about it. Okay. So we'll pick up, bring that tree. We'll pick up next week with uh, our third, which is Bible and theology. We pray for us, and we'll. we'll